listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of ACB Advocacy Update. This is Claire Stanley, the Advocacy and Outreach Specialist here with the American Council of the Blind and my usual crazy co-host. Clark Rockfall, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for ACB. Thanks to everyone listening on ACB Radio, as well as those streaming, downloading, subscribing via their favorite podcast player. As always, I was going to see how many uh, ING words you were going to come up there with. Yeah. <laughs> as always, you can learn more about ACB by visiting our website at www.acb.org. And thank you, Sprint T-Mobile, for underwriting this podcast and all of our podcasts here through the end of 2020. Uh, we'll say it now and we'll say it again at the end, but we always want to let you guys know if you have any advocacy issues that you'd like Clark or myself to look into, please do not hesitate to reach out. You can email us at advocacy at acb.org. Um, nothing is too big or too little. We definitely want to hear from you guys and see how we can assist. Um, so without further ado, we'll jump in with our guests um, this week. We're really fortunate to have um, another ally in the blind and blindness and visually impaired community here to speak to us. And we're going to be talking about employment because um, if we've said it before, we'll say it again. October is National Disability Employment Awareness Month, or NDEAM for short, because that's a lot easier to say. Um, so this month, or this week, I should say, we um, have the fortunate this um, to be joined by Kirk Adams from the American Foundation for the Blind, or AFB for short. And so before we jump in, Kirk, do you want to go ahead and just introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, sure. This is Kirk Adams, and I am fortunate and privileged to serve as the president and CEO of the American Foundation for the Blind. I'm the, I'm the sixth president, uh, sixth blind president, and uh, we are in year 99 so we have wow. a, a long history, and I'm proud to be part of it. That's exciting. So next year, you guys get to celebrate your centennial. We do, and we're going to do it up. Nice. <laughs> um, great. Well, do you want to give us kind of a, uh, a little bit of a summary of what AFB is, what it's all about, yeah. what started it? Yeah. So um, there's, a, there's an alphabet soup, of course, and many <laughs> uh, in, our, in our world have the letter B. So ACB and NFB and AFB and NIB and, and, and all the Bs, as we say. But um, the American Foundation for the Blind is not a membership organization. We're, we don't have chapters. We don't have members. We're a private nonprofit. And we were founded in 1921 and really by the, by the professionals in the blindness field. So there were two professional organizations, uh, American Association of Workers for the Blind, who uh, ran things like workshops and homes for the blind and asylums for the blind and you know, all, all the institutions from our past. And uh, American Association of Teachers of the Blind, who were mostly teachers in uh, residential schools for blind kids, of which I, I attended the Oregon State School for the Blind for first, second, and third grade. So those two organizations... Um, they had annual conventions in alternate years, and they both uh, got together and, and voted to put forward leadership and, and some resources to create a new central nonprofit agency 
the American Foundation for the Blind, which would use data and research to identify the uh, greatest barriers faced by blind people, the greatest opportunities uh, for blind people, and to facilitate collective action and to speak in the halls of power on behalf of people who are blind. So um, that's still what we are here for. Um, again, we're a private nonprofit. We have a national board. Um, we have a very broad charter that just basically says improve the lives of blind people in the United States. So that gives us a lot of leeway to um, decide what that means for us at any given time. So as you uh, as you led led with Claire, it's a, right now it's employment, and uh, as we went through a strategic planning process and, and thought about systems change and how can we have the greatest impact and where should we focus our, our resources, um, employment seems to be the um, for us anyway the the leverage point where where we mm -hmm. think we can do the most good and mm -hmm. have the greatest impact. That's great. You know, employment, as we've talked about on the, the podcast before, and we'll undoubtedly talk about um, in the future, employment is definitely a, a huge barrier for those of us in the blind and visually impaired communities. So it's exciting to hear that you guys are really putting um, putting energy and work into, into that particular field. And Kirk, thank you for celebrating NDEAM or National Disability Employment Awareness Month here with us today. I'm curious to hear more about what the uh, the employment focus or having employment as a strategic and key initiative for AFB, um, how does that manifest itself into the, the work and the actions of the organization? Yeah, I think, again, our, we're looking at things through a lens of systems change. So taking, taking a step back, and as, as we know, the um, employment outcomes uh, for people who are blind are, are poor and uh, frustrating and uh, maddening. And a lot of people have put in a lot of time and effort to address um, the workforce participation rate. And we haven't, haven't uh, gotten where we want to go. Um, a little footnote, you, you mentioned uh, flattening inaccessibility study when we were when we were chatting before and that's a survey we we put together in collaboration with uh, 16 other blindness organizations got got out um, into the world um, early on during the COVID pandemic just to see how um, the pandemic was affecting people who are blind in various areas of life one being employment and um, you know, we got we got 1,900 valid responses, and it was a pretty long survey. It took 45 or 50 minutes. I will say it was designed beautifully for accessibility, but you know, using JAWS, it it, it took me that long. And so the people who responded, um, you know, had to have some level of technology skills and access to technology and and internet connectivity. So you know by by definition, uh, the the sample ha had those characteristics, um, but still, t you know, twenty nine percent of the people who responded were employed. So we often say that only thirty percent of blind people are in the workforce, or thirty five percent are in the workforce, and you know, there's various data sets that 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 point to that. But here's a here's a snapshot 
um, 1,900 blind people just here in the last three or four months. And again, it confirms that, that poor workforce mm-hmm. participation rate. So um, looking at a couple things, we, we wanted to um, focus our energy. So we, we first, we looked at industries and we looked at things like the, the rehab services administration um, business roundtable um, study they did in 2015. So they identified three industries, and we are we are uh, focusing on those three industries as well as areas uh, where we can um, have significant influence in uh, improving employment outcomes. So they were looking for industries that were projected to have long-term significant employment growth overall. Industries that had um, good, uh, strong infrastructure like industry associations and communications and conferences and and industries that were predisposed to inclusion so mm-hmm. you know they're bro- they're broad buckets but it's uh, healthcare and uh, banking slash finance and and mm-hmm. IT careers so you know even even though those are huge categories we we have um, you know decided to focus on on those and then the other um, kind of big piece is to look at all the stakeholder groups and bring them together. And we, we've been doing that in, uh, in an employment summit format. So uh, obviously there's, there's the government sector um, represented by vocational rehabilitation system funded by the Department of Ed. Mm-hmm. There's the nonprofit sector. There's the corporate employers. Um, there's blind individuals, of of course, being the most important stakeholder group. So last year we did two employment summits. We held one in New York, um, hosted by Google, our friends at Google. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was in the spring last year. Then we did one in the fall in, in uh, Dallas, hosted by our friends at AT and T. Thank you. So we had the leadership of the state voc rehab systems in the room. Um, nine or ten large corporate employers in the room, um, nonprofits who have employment programs, foundations that fund employment inclusion, and uh, blind individuals and uh, who are successfully employed. And again, we focused on those those three industries: fi- finance, healthcare, and, and and IT. And we had facilitated discussions that lasted a day, um, gathered input from everyone uh afb research staff analyzed the data and then then we're able to identify interventions that we could give back to that community so Mm -hmm. so that's a role afb uh, i think is well suited to play is to bring these various stakeholder groups together in conversation and um you know csavr has their conference in csab again alphabet soup so council state agencies evoke rehab National Council State Agencies for the Blind, they have their conferences where voc rehab agencies talk to one another, and then uh, folks like Disability Inn have conferences where all the corporations talk to one another, and the schools for the blind have their conference where they talk to one another, and, and so on and so on. So it's, it's, a, it's back to our original 1921 purposes mm-hmm. to you know, c- convene. So we're continuing to do that. We're pivoting virtually. We're going to do a, a, a virtual summit in the fall focused on the stakeholder groups in, in the Northern Virginia, D.C. area. 
Um, we're planning one for the Bay Area. Mm. So out of this has come a, a kind of another round of refinement and looking at policy and workforce development and trends and in corporations and where resources are going. We're, we're really um, focusing quite a bit of attention on apprenticeship programs and internship mm. programs, mm-hmm. which are um, enjoying more and more focus, more resources. We think there'll be more, more funding, um, more infrastructure around apprenticeships and internships. So our, our um, strategy would be to identify those programs that are either existing and successful or that are being created and to ensure that they are designed to be inclusive of, of people who are blind. That's really interesting. That's great to hear the work. And it'll be uh, interesting to hear kind of the results of those studies in those three different areas um, to hear, you know, what what we can learn from them. So I'm really excited to hear about that. Um, so one thing we'd love to talk to, to, to pivot a little bit all in the same area, though, um, I think you had yourself mentioned earlier, Kirk, the flattening the curve study that was done. Um, kind of early on in the days of COVID. I can't believe it's been seven months now um, with the research. We'd love to talk kind of individually about the different sections that came out. I was just reviewing the report um, and such fascinating outcomes that have come from it. Uh, Maybe we could walk through some of the different areas that tie into employment, and we'd love to hear your input on what you guys found. Yeah, and I will say that it's available at our on our website afb.org. You can find the study. You can find summaries of each section, and um, we will provide links to you, Claire, Claire, and Clark, that you can share. There will be three town hall uh, virtual meetings coming up, where um, Dr. Penny Rosenblum, our director of research, will go through the the results and, and uh, point out some conclusions and, and uh, where, where we see some areas uh, that, that need more focus. So um, I, I won't quote um, the, del- the deltas and the betas and the things that she'll talk <laughs> about, but you know, we, we, we discovered, um, like I mentioned earlier, that the workforce participation rate was confirmed. Um, mm-hmm. You know, roughly just under thirty percent of our respondents were employed. Um, you know, a good percentage, more more than twenty percent, um, were having challenges around working virtually based on inaccessibility of technology. And um, we want to explore that further. And we're actually um, starting a new sir new study, a technology in the workplace study that's going to explore that. Um, in much more depth and focus on what technologies are blind people actually using in the workplace, which mainstream technologies are accessible, which consistently prove to be inaccessible. What assistive technologies are people using uh, to perform job functions? So, you know, again, uh, more more than one in five uh, who were employed, of the 29% who were employed, uh, over 20% were having challenges around accessibility uh, specifically related to the virtual em- environment, and about the same um, number were having challenges because of a, a lack of of training in, in mm-hmm. which they were handed a piece of technology or told to use a piece of technology and and not given that support. So, 
again, it just, just underscores for us the importance of building in the accessibility, um, but also the training and supports re required for successful inclusion of people who are blind. And as we circle back around to thinking about apprenticeship and internship programs and the conversations we're having with um, entities that are sponsoring those programs, how, how, to, how to guide those conversations around making sure that all the technology platforms are accessible from the, from the beginning and that the training and support that's appropriate is in, in place. So it's, it's, it's not news to, to probably anyone listening mm -hmm. to this. But uh, it's good to have data and, and numbers uh, yeah. that, that we can point to rather than uh, just being anecdotal. Because we all, we, all we all have our stories. Yes, yeah, so Kirk, we're certainly glad that uh, the, a forthcoming study will focus specifically on uh, workplace and access technologies and training because that is a, a very key component in addition to the, the access and engagement study uh, that's in the books and the one that's forthcoming um, on education and, and training. Um, circling back, this flattening the inaccessibility curve survey, this was done towards the, the beginning of the pandemic. Right. Um, just to add that frame of reference. Um, and Claire, one of the components that especially well, you are a point person for is transportation. And I guess that's probably a good place to start as any because, well, at least before COVID, we used to have to travel to get from home to work. Yes. Uh, yeah, when I was reading the report, Kirk, I was really fascinated to read about the transportation um, components of the survey to hear about the impact that it has on the blind and visually impaired community. And I'm sure it comes as no surprise that transportation resources have been impacted. And I mean, in an ideal world, it shouldn't be too big of an issue for employment because hopefully we can stay home. But that's not the case for everything. Um, and we still need to get to our workplaces. So um, I know I read that not surprisingly from the survey, it showed that that's been one of the biggest concerns of the blind community community since COVID. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, Kirk? I mean, I guess yeah. the numbers speak for themselves, but. Yeah, just uh, some, some big picture things. So looking at employment research um, <laughs> over time, when, when surveys and studies and focus groups are done, um, there's usually a battle between number one and number two as far as the greatest barriers to successful mm. employment for people who are blind. It's either employer attitudes or transportation. Yeah. And, um, you know, some, some number around 30, high 30s, 40% of blind individuals will report that they've, um, you know, turned down an employment opportunity or not pursued an employment opportunity because of transportation. So, you know, that, that, wow. that's a hu huge factor yeah. in our low workforce participation rate. So in the short term, with transportation systems being disrupted and routes being slashed and curtailed, you know, the, the impact has definitely been a, a, adverse on successful employment, um, people seeking employment. You know, our desperate times call for desperate measures, but really our, our focus is on how can we um, think about blind people retaining their employment yeah. during, during this time 
let, let alone you know, entering the workforce. So that there's there's um, lots of new wrinkles and complications to that. The 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 silver lining, the good news is that as the whole world turns to uh, virtual workplaces and virtual work becomes normalized and there's more focus on um, productivity tools that allow people to work remotely, you know, it, it, it should open up more opportunities for people who are blind if we position correctly. So as the, the, as I am working remotely, uh, as I, as I, is our whole organization from across the country, I'm in Seattle. We have people in New York and Philadelphia and Chicago and Florida and Ohio. And, uh, we're, uh, we're all working remotely. And I guess fortuitously we had decided to become a virtual organization several years ago and closed down our physical large space in New York and divested our space in Dallas. And we put together a virtual workplace team of blind and sighted individuals who looked at various tools and evaluated them for accessibility. Um, we've been, we've been on zoom for, uh, for a couple of years now. Um, and doing things like building in, um, informal water cooler time, mm-hmm. um, kind of try, trying to replace those spontaneous hallway conversations that, that don't happen when you're, you're spending all of your time following in a, in a, a timed agenda. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we, we think that this allows us um, some opportunities to take some big steps forward in employment of people who are blind and workforce participation um, in the virtual environment. Um, but, um, transportation, you will, transportation will remain an issue. Um, what will happen to transportation systems in general? Um, what will those changes be? How do we anticipate those? How do we position um, those changes to be in, to create more inclusive transportation systems rather than create more barriers? So we'll we'll look for you two to help on that. <laughs> Absolutely, and organizationally, we're very fortunate that Sarah Malaire from AFB and mm-hmm. Claire Stanley are both co-chairs on the Transportation Task Force for the Consortium of Citizens with Disabilities, or CCD. Yep. So any, any transportation changes, improvements that are forthcoming, they will have their pulse on the situation for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we talked a lot about transportation, which is huge. I think you made such a great point, Kirk, that it's one of the biggest barriers for employment. Um, I also saw in the report that some of the other issues, um, again, through the survey that we learned early on during the pandemic, at least, were access to things like voc rehab services and educational services, because in order to get a job, a lot of people need to go through either an educational system or a VR system. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that with the survey showed? Yeah, I think it's, it's back again to, I think it's just, there, there's so many complications now to mm-hmm. people who are wanting to enter the workforce. Um, with with transportation being disrupted, with VR services uh, being disrupted, um, again, I guess the the silver lining is 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 rethinking some of this stuff and how mm-hmm. how our services delivered, and um, 
you know, one of the things that came out in our employment summits really clearly is, is that the, the employer is, is uh, telling us that they are not, um, they're not seeing applicants who have the training and the, the, the skills mm-hmm. and technology, the level of technology that they need. So there was a very clear message to to the vocational rehabilitation folks in the room is that you know, we the, the employer saying we need you to better understand what we need in uh, in an entry level workforce what kind of tools we're using yeah um, what what kind of skill levels people need and you know the voc rehab people in the room are saying well yes we 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 do need to know that please please tell us how how, how do we find out so. You know, we we had the um, summit at Google, and someone just quite frankly said, "You know, we're we're being sent applicants who don't know how to use Google tools, and mm-hmm. that's what we use here." <laughs> so, yeah. uh, um, gets back around to your point with the disruption in, in vocational rehabilitation and education services. Um, my question and our question at AFB is always, "What is the opportunity here?" So the opportunity here is to rethink some of these things. If we're delivering more and more services virtually, does that give us the opportunity to be more flexible? Mm. Can we customize some of these trainings? Can there be a Google tools expert who can serve uh, folks from various states? Can there be some um, more more customization um, based on, the consumer's informed choice of where they would like to work, which industry they would like to work in, what are the typical technology platforms used in the industry they're they're interested in. Um, so again, this this disruption um, can open up some opportunities. We think. That's good. I like that you have the the see the silver lining. <laughs> yeah. And Kirk, if you wouldn't mind just giving a, an example or a hypothetical. So say, for example, um, there's a financial services provider or a big bank in Pennsylvania, um, and they are interested to employ people with disabilities, but they're not receiving candidates um, that they think are qualified for entry level positions or management positions within the company. So how do you envision working with uh, state rehabilitation uh, in this example in Pennsylvania to help prepare people for those employment opportunities at a financial institution. Well, I, th- I think there's a couple couple ways that, that we're we're working on. We're engaged with um, council state agencies of vocational rehabilitation, which is all the all the state VR agencies. Many states have two a, a blindness specific agency and then uh, an agency for people with other disabilities. So in total, there's about 80 vocational rehabilitation agencies. They have um, a platform called the Talent Acquisition Portal. And this is brand new to us, but we have, AFB has a dedicated space now on the Talent Acquisition Portal. And the, the opportunity there is to um, you know, create a space where employers um, we'll, we'll know to um, seek qualified blind applicants and, and, a, and it's a place where, where blind individuals could, could 
look for employment opportunities. Um, I think in the case you just mentioned, it's probably wider than a, a specific bank. It's probably an industry conversation and getting some of the leaders in the financial industry together with some leaders from vocational rehabilitation and saying these are the pathways to entrance into this industry. Um, these are the certifications and, and degrees you know, people would need to have. These are the tools um, that people will, will need to learn how to use. And then uh, again, back all, all roads and at least currently seem to lead back around to apprenticeship, apprenticeship and internship programs. So, you know, we're today we had a conversation with a large national bank and they have a, an apprenticeship program that focuses on underrepresented communities, um, not, not um, focusing on people with disabilities or people who are blind. But the conversation uh, is you have this apprenticeship program, you have thousands of open jobs, always open, that you're always recruiting for. You're not filling um, the, the jobs uh, with the percentages of people with disabilities that you've targeted. You know, how, how can we work, work together to be more inclusive of, of people who are blind um, in, in your apprenticeship program? And you know, the, if, if the conversation goes to the next level, the very next person to bring to the table person or persons would be the vocational rehabilitation system. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. So it, it sounds like not only are you uh, building the, the runway and the, the launching path, um, you're also building the airplane and building the airport, you know, making <laughs> sure voc rehab agencies by convening all these, these partners, um, identifying and helping voc rehab share with their, their clients and students what skills and training they'll need to possess um, so that they can uh, achieve their you know, informed choice and career goals, but then also helping to provide those uh, internships and apprenticeships to get folks into the talent pipeline at these companies. Um, so that's that's fascinating. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's the that's the concept. And where where do you take a bite out of this, and where do you get traction? And that's back around to what we talked about before: is we we can't change the whole world at once. So you know, we started with defining the three industries, and then um, you know the the next point is to find stakeholders in, in each of the stakeholder groups who want to engage. So it's government, corporate, nonprofit. Um, it, and, and individuals and uh, you know where can you rather than rein, reinvent the wheel where, where is there a model um, that you can build upon that you can think about broadening to be more inclusive um, you know who needs to talk talk to who to fill in some of these missing pieces you know who who's guessing <laughs> who's guessing <laughs> and uh, you know who, who should be um, collaborating and you know, how, how can we in our, in our role facilitate that collaboration? Kirk, I like something you said earlier about uh, being on Zoom for years. It, it seems like the people who are blind and blindness organizations were on Zoom back before Zoom was cool. <laughs> and here with the, the pandemic, 
Um, just curious about the, the survey findings with regards to employment, uh, what you heard from folks about, basically like remote work technologies and any findings or concerns in that regard? Well, I, I, I think um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to name names in the work or technology in the workplace study. We'll name names, but um, you know, some, some employers who were kind of forced rapidly to, to go virtual made some decisions and, and chose some platforms that, that were either inaccessible or much less accessible than others. So there, you know, there are some clear um, choices that we would make as wine people um, around accessibility and, and those considerations um, weren't, weren't always uh, you know, part of the mix when employers made, made decisions. So <laughs> some, some people's work environments became, became much less accessible um, as their employers chose certain certain productivity tools that they were required to use. So again, that leads us to systems change and um, can we gather data about the inaccessibility of certain platforms? Can we have a collective conversation? So, someone like a Microsoft who's built accessibility requirements into all their purchasing activities. I mean, their their accessibility is a requirement of their vendors, you know, formal, formally and officially in all, in, in all their, their contracts. And can we help encourage other major corporations to, to do the same? Can we um, facilitate having um, a number of customers speak to their vendors about accessibility? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the the world of uh, technical accessibility can be a blessing and a curse. So it's it's fascinating to see what what's coming out of COVID for sure. And it, well, I, I think I, I still use a slate and stylus, Claire. So I'm not the most techie <laughs> hey, person in the world. That. <laughs> Keep that right next to your abacus. I think uh, Eric Bridges has one of those as well. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and I, Kirk, I think that that falls into the, you know, kind of into the bucket of folks were having to adapt and change practices on the fly, you know, not knowing it, really what was, what was coming, what was happening. We had to change rapidly and, and move quickly. And it's unfortunate that in um, some or many circumstances, uh, employees with, with disabilities may not have been their needs. Uh, may not have been taken into account. But now that we're seven months into the pandemic and uh, employers are starting to look towards the future, uh, what would you say that the survey findings said about the return to work policies and what folks who completed the survey uh, thought about that? You know, I don't want to misquote the survey. I, I will, um, again, mention that the, the survey results are available at afb.org and we'll share links to the, to the town halls. But um, again, not, not surprisingly, um, people who are blind um, 
lost employment at a greater rate than um, the general population. And there was certainly uh, a high level of concern about retention uh, of employment expressed by those blind people who were, who were employed. Yeah. Um, so Kirk, you highlighted earlier some of the ongoing employment-focused research and work that AFB is doing, uh, not only these employment summits, uh, but also the focus on apprenticeships and internships. Um, if folks want to find out more information about the, these programs, as well as the pending and future research surveys, is the AFB website the best place to go for that information as well? Yeah, there, there's, a, there's an easy sign up for, for announcements. Um, our Facebook page is pretty active. So find American Foundation for the Blind on, on Facebook. Um, we uh, have some virtual sessions that are, I think, very relevant. Our, uh, as ACB did, pivoted, uh, didn't, weren't able to bring everyone together in person. So rather than do what you all did so ambitiously and have a, whatever 108 sessions, we did five. So we we uh, we pre-recorded them and streamed them and archived them. So there there is a session on virtual work. Um, there is a, a session on uh, the early findings of the flattening and accessibility and accessibility survey. There's a um, session on uh, virtual education of blind kids. There's a session on an implicit bias that I think is mm -hmm. great. And then um, you know, there's a conversation be between myself and Hob and Gurma that mm -hmm. we did right around the anniversary of the ADA. So those are all there uh, under the virtual conference tab. There's a, a place to sign up for announcements and uh, newsletters. Um, we invite you to stay tuned. We're Framing up our centennial next year, we turn a hundred, and not many nonprofits get get to that point. So we want yeah. to leverage it and really focus on equity, inclusion, and transformation in employment. Mm -hmm. um, leverage the fact that we have a centennial to move our initiatives forward. So we're we're planning uh, a, a series of six uh, virtual um, events the first half of the year. And we'll be re releasing those. And uh, we, we hope to get together uh, with some folks in person in the latter half of the year, but we're not counting on it. <laughs> so, and Kirk, will those sessions in the early part of the year, um, is that in, in addition to the, the AFB Leadership Conference? And I'm going to cut you a little bit of slack because last year as the pandemic pandemic really ramped up. You guys were about a month or less than a month out of your leadership conference and really had to adapt on the fly. And well, at ACB, we had a whole four months to prepare yeah, to go for right, <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it's really going to be in, in place of where, where we, uh, we had put money down on a beautiful uh, hotel in D.C., and we were planning to have the, the biggest, baddest leadership conference and Helen, Helen Keller Achievement Awards ever, and uh, we've, we've scrapped that, and uh, we're, gonna, we're going to focus uh, on some, 
some top quality uh, virtual events that are fully accessible models of accessibility and really carry the message and um, focus um, on inclusion of people who are blind in employment. Well, thank you so much for talking to us, Kirk, about this. I know I really enjoyed reading um, the results of the survey and look forward to participating in the town hall um, discussions to hear more about the findings. Um, to our listeners, we will definitely make sure that we provide links um, as they come for those town hall meetings so that you can all all can participate because we know we'll learn a lot from them. So and thank stay you so tuned. Much. Yeah, if you're if you're particularly in, interested in, in uh, education of blind kids, we're going to do another uh, uh, round two of the access and engagement survey. We've got the technology and the workplace um, study uh, starting the focus groups to do the research design for that. So we are um, trying to be as useful as we can. We cannot pursue every area for improvement identified by these research studies, but we hope other organizations like ACB can use the data and uh, leverage it. So it's there for you to use. <laughs> and Perfect. thank you so much for sharing the, the work of AFB and our, our members and the staff at ACB certainly appreciate the, the partnership and collaboration and the work that you all do. But before we let you go here, um, I'd just like to point out it is Dr. Kirk Adams. That's right. Uh, Thank you. Education is very important to you personally. Um, you've also relocated for employment. Uh, you said you're back in Seattle now, but you left Seattle to come to the D.C. area um, from, you know, left your family. So I'm just yeah, curious. Yeah, with a, with, a, with a stop in New York. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm curious uh, if there's any personal advice um, that you would give to those either you know soon to be seeking employment or those actively looking um, or those looking to advance their careers. You know, I I think um, my my answer will be support network. I, I'm really mm -hmm. impressed by the community calls that um, ACB. Um, started putting together during, during the summer. And I, I understand they're thriving and a new beautiful new part of the ACB community. But I think that support network, um, before I embarked on my, my doctorate, I called some blind individuals who had uh, earned doctorates and, you know, God, God rest his soul, Brian Miller, um, who, who passed mm -hmm. away from COVID is someone I talked to. He has a, had, a, he had earned a PhD in history so I talked to him at some length, kind of, you know, just found out what it was like, how he did it. I talked to a couple other people. Um, when I when I moved to New York, that's where AFB was headquartered. There's a really active uh, tri-state blind and visually impaired community on Facebook with like 350 members. So I joined that and I, you know, I had asked, asked questions, um, you know. What happens when the F train goes and uh, transfers to an A train route? You know, things, things, things like that. Um, you know, with 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 ACB and the ACB family, um, you have uh, people who will be part of your support network, and there's a blind person doing any any job you can think of. Um, there's a blind person somewhere doing it. Um, any community you're interested in, um, there's a blind person living there. Um, 
you know, for parents of blind kids, there's other families. You know, when, when my retina is detached, I was the only blind person anyone in my family had ever met. Um, so, you know, there's families who've had kids with the same eye condition. There's people who've uh, struggled and uh, like I, I did when I graduated from college, send out hundreds of resumes and had dozens of phone interviews and uh, went in for the in-person interview and uh, you know, felt the confusion uh, come over the room when I walked in with my cane. Um, so, you know, there's, there's nothing new under the sun. And, you know, some, some people are more bold and rash than others, but uh, I, I, I think Clark and Claire, you, you would concur that uh, there's, there's ready-made support networks for, for everybody right there in ACB. Definitely. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Kirk. I think that's uh, a great perspective, uh, especially coming from the, the CEO of an organization about to celebrate its centennial here next year. So thank you. And we wish you the we'll, best. We'll we wish see, the best back we'll in Seattle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm here, and uh, the Seahawks are five and zero. Oh, and uh, <laughs> the moment the sun is shining, so every, everything's good here in Seattle, Washington. Uh, well, one of those might be a little bit more consistent than the other. Uh, <laughs> right. Let you pick which one. You pick which one. <laughs> I'll take the rain. <laughs> All right. It's been a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we'll be back in just a second to recap what we talked about today and wish everybody a great week. So hold on for a second. We'll be right back. The American Council of the Blind plays an important role in the daily lives of blind and visually impaired individuals all over the country. Whether it's making products and services more accessible for the blind, advocating for appropriate education for blind students, issuing scholarships to deserving college students, fighting for accessible currency, along with a host of other issues, it takes contributions from all of us. You can help by joining the Monthly Monetary Support Program, MMS. It's a great opportunity for members and friends to make sure these efforts continue. What ACB does enhances all of our lives. For more information, go to our website, acb.org, click on the donations link, go to the MMS tab, and enter. Or call 612-332-3242. And we're back. Isn't that what they always say on TV shows when they record them? Like, you're back on camera? Is, is it that or is it and action? Oh, well, okay. And action. Take Maybe action two. first and then we're back, like coming from, you know, news or live commercial break, something like that. Clearly in our career history and experience, Clark and myself never did anything in the entertainment or news business. But no. on that topic, we'd love to My talk about some of our experiences. experience comes from TV sitcoms, <laughs> um, which it doesn't sound like Kirk, Dr. Adams, has Dr. Adams, yeah. you know, professional experience in the entertainment business either, but he did provide really interesting personal experience on getting a PhD, uh, relying on a support network, as well as you know, blasting out all those resumes looking for job interviews, Claire. When he said that I had kind of a slight smile on my face um, because I remember that exact same experience, graduating from college and sending out literally hundreds of applications and getting those phone interviews 
And that literally the same thing, walking into the office with my guide dog and just that awkward silence. And you're like, yeah, I'm blind. What do you want from me? (laughs) So could definitely, definitely relate to that. So uh, one thing I thought that was interesting is the wrong word, but the talk, as we talked about like inaccessible technology, have you had any of that, Clark? I know like one of the most infamous ones you always hear is about, um, like clocking in and out and submitting your timesheets and stuff. Those softwares are almost mm-hmm. always inaccessible. Um, stories like that. Have you had any work experiences where you couldn't use the technology you needed? Certainly. Uh, like you mentioned, the clocking in and out payroll, um, mm-hmm. HR kind of management systems yeah. are a bit notorious in that regard. Yes. And fortunately, the the folks out in California and disability rights advocates are doing some great work in that regard right now. Woot woot. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Shout out there. Uh, but also the kind of continuing education, like webinar portals, you know, mm-hmm. not, not webinars like we're used to um, for it, either recording this podcast or hosting community events, um, but the kind of built-in closed systems where you have to go through video prompts or answer questions. For sure. Navigate through, take a little quiz on the end, at the end. And a lot of those are either continuing education or annual kind of audit and compliance type things that every employee needs to do. One of my first employers, I had to have someone assist me and read to me all of the content because it's not accessible. It's like, this is not a productive use of anyone's time. Time. Exactly. We have, and I know she won't mind me sharing her story briefly because she spoke at our advocacy boot camp at convention this past summer. But one of our members who's in our employment committee, she is a, um, a therapist. She works with kids she can do her job beautifully. The part of her job she can't do is accessing notes into their system because mm-hmm. it's an inaccessible system. And it just seems so frustrating that the, 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 the main part of her job she can do beautifully. But then when it comes to the administrative work, it's like, no, you can't do it. How frustrating. So, yeah. yeah. And certainly the, the point about individuals who are blind or low vision, i.e. cannot drive, having to turn down employment opportunities due to a lack of transportation. Yeah. I, I know we get those stories a lot. Claire, have you had any personal transportation nightmares related to employment? Well, it's interesting that you say that. I've never had any personal experiences, but that's because I intentionally move myself away from places where that would be an issue. I grew up in Southern California where it's a car culture. You know, you turn 16, you get your license and you get a car and that's how you do it. So for me, if I'd stayed in my hometown, I would never have been able to get a job or I would have had to rely on paratransit, which is notorious for getting you there super early or super late. So I intentionally pick myself up and move myself to Washington T Washington, D.C., where there's a lot more flexibility with transportation. So I avoided those horror stories by literally moving 3,000 miles away from home. So um, sometimes you have to literally, you know, move yourself (laughs) to to change that. And how frustrating. If you want to stay in your hometown, you should be able to stay in your hometown. So, yeah. I I am no stranger to uh, commutes 
of a single trip one way of an hour and a half or two hours. Yep. So with one bus to a subway system to walking, uh, it you know, could be three hours round trip each day. It could be four hours each day. Uh, one of my first days to work, actually when I was working for one of the other bees, National Industries for the Blind, my <laughs> first day, mapped it all out. It was going to be great. I allowed myself two hours. It was just one of those days on Metro in DC. Oh, no. And for my first day, I arrived at 1030. Oh, no. Yep. Yep. It's like, are they going to fire me on day one? You're like, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's one thing if, you know, the average commuter takes an hour to get to where they're supposed to be going, just like everybody else. But when usually something that should take you, let's say 20 minutes, takes you two hours, you're like, hello, <laughs> that's not equal. Yep. So, yeah. You just can't get there from here. Yeah, exactly. So, well, I'm sure all of you who are listening are nodding your head and can share so many of your own stories about the different obstacles we face for getting employment that have nothing to do with our ability to do the job, but have to do with transportation or VR services or um, technology, transportation, et cetera, et cetera. So um, have no fear. Take heart. You can get employment. It does happen. But we just want you guys to know that we understand where you're coming from. And there are some challenges out there. And there certainly are challenges. There are additional challenges posed by the the pandemic and the current Mm -hmm. state of the world. There are opportunities as well. And I think that's what I find myself most kind of emboldened and heartened about is that technology is progressing and the acceptance of workplace accommodations and accessible technology to be more productive is becoming more commonplace, not just for employees with disabilities, but for everyone. So hopefully when we look back at this one year, five year, 10 years from now, it'll be much like we talk because of the ADA, you know, tongue in cheek, he says, because of COVID, my workplace or my employer is more accepting of me working from home, you know, where I can be more productive and don't have to spend two hours commuting each way. Yeah. I know I've seen so many, right? Yeah, I know I've seen so many social media posts about that exact same thing for the disability community where they say, for years I've been asking to work at home because of my disability. Now suddenly everybody else needs it and they can do it, but before they couldn't, which, you know, we can, you know, grumble and not like it. But hey, like you said, if because of COVID things get better, things get better. So. Yeah. Well, while I hold my breath on that, we'll be sure to share (laughs) with everyone uh, links to AFB's website. And uh, from there, you'll be able to find the town hall events discussing their research and surveys, as well as opportunities to participate in upcoming research and opportunities. And of course, ACB, we've partnered with them on other surveys this year, and we will continue to do so in the future. Um, And as always, if you need any assistance from us, please reach out. That's what we're here for, advocacy at acb.org. And if you want to share your employment stories with us, you can do that at advocacy at acb.org. 
You can do it in the, the comments, wherever you find this podcast posted, uh, whether it's social media uh, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, let us know what you're going through. You know, if yeah, it's good, please do. bad, it makes no difference. Just it's always good for us to hear what's happening out there in the rest of the world. And I will take this opportunity to put in a plug for ERPS, our information referral and peer support, as we call it, the information corner, our monthly podcast. This month is actually all about Title I and work accommodations. So participate on Tuesday, October 27th, I believe it is, and you can learn all about uh, your rights as a person with a disability in the workplace. So check that out as well. And that is next Tuesday, October 27th. To, uh, not this coming Tuesday, another week from there. Don't, don't jump the gun there, man. <laughs> Claire, this is posting on Thursday, October 22nd. So that is next Tuesday. These recordings are messing with my head. Thank you, Clark. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, thanks again, everybody, for listening. Um, we hope that you're celebrating National Disability Employment Awareness Month. We know employment can be a hard subject for those of us in the disability community, but I think we can also celebrate all of the strides we've made. Amen to that. And Claire, I'll throw it back to you. What do we always say? Keep advocating. Thanks for listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. You can reach us by emailing advocacy at acb.org. The ACB Advocacy Update is a production of the American Council of the Blind in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about ACB, visit us online at www.acb.org.